Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap in wealth through Web3. What gets you up in the morning? What motivates you and drives you? Two of the reasons that are very near and dear to my heart is that Web3 needed more women and it was just not user-friendly. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women, sharing their insights on topics. I guess everybody was shocked that I left Amazon to go to a startup. There was an article that was published, I think it was in the New York Times, and we ended up getting, I don't know, 1,500 job applicants. And we have how-tos from founders and builders who have been there and done that. And Cam's, when we looked at them, only 2% were women. He was a huge fan of my show and he was like a little bit starstruck when he was asked to be on the show. I had this sinking feeling because I was like, oh boy, he's not going to like me after this interview because I had all of these tough questions for him. Healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. The soulful expression that I was seeing and how people were authentically exuding their true self. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. Remember, always look to the sky above, earth below, and the fire within. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web3 podcast. I'm your host, Cams, and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseuse, this podcast is for you. Let's get it. On today's show, we're talking about cryptocurrency, magic internet money, and why women should be a part of the future of crypto. Laura Shin is a crypto journalist, and she was the first mainstream journalist to cover crypto full-time. She's host of the Unchained podcast and author of The Cryptopians, Idealism, Greed, Lies, and the Making of the First Big Cryptocurrency Craze, which just came out in February. Laura reveals the intense drama and story of the idealist, technologists, and opportunists fighting to bring cryptocurrency to the masses. She interviewed over 200 people to create the most accurate account of this incredible and unraveling piece of Web3 history, which we are all invited to be a part of. Most notably, she recounts the tale of what's still one of the most egregious, most notorious events in crypto, the 2016 DAO attack on Ethereum. The DAO had raised more than $150 million from more than 11,000 investors. The hackers stole $60 million worth of Ether. While writing her book, Laura and her sources believe they uncovered who was actually behind the 2016 DAO attack on Ethereum. She actually names this person in her Unchained podcast. Laura has spoken about cryptocurrency at places such as TEDx San Francisco, the International Monetary Fund, Singularity University, and the Oslo Freedom Forum. As you can imagine, there's many reasons we have her here today. But looking into the research, a representative survey conducted among 10,000 plus U.S. adults ages 18 to 29 by the Pew Research Center found that over twice as many men as women invest in cryptocurrency. Roughly 19% of women say they have invested 
traded or used their cryptocurrency compared with 43% of men. But wait, there's more. There are also not as many women working in the blockchain and crypto industries. A 2019 report revealed the percentage of women in these sectors, developers, investors, and casually interested individuals, hovers between 4% and 6%. Laura is the GOAT of crypto journalism. She's captured the history of crypto, especially the start of one of the most successful blockchains, Ethereum. She's inspired women across the globe to pursue careers in crypto and to learn more about this exciting new technology. She's been celebrated by Next Advisor in partnership with Time, yes, the Time, as a woman who is changing the face and future of crypto. Welcome, Laura Shin, to our podcast. Thanks for having me. So good to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. You're such a busy woman, so accomplished. And I was just so inspired by your TEDx talk. You've accomplished so much and you're doing a lot. You, you interviewed so many people. What gets you up in the morning? What, what is that fire that burns inside of you <laughs> that gets you excited to just jump in? Wow. Well, a few things. I would say probably the number one biggest driver is uh, I really consider myself a writer at heart. And I had so much fun writing my book. I just am having fun also, you know, seeing people read it and hearing their comments. There's just more that will, you know, probably happen with the book. And all of those things are very exciting to me. So my drive is just really to write as many books as possible. And that's probably one of the main drivers that gets me up out of bed every day. But another one would definitely be that crypto itself is so fascinating. You know, I'd been a journalist for a long time when I stumbled upon this beat. And I've never covered any beat that was anywhere near as <laughs> consuming. Uh, I just very quickly became completely obsessed. I love the fact that it's constantly changing and for me, for the type of personality I have, that means that it's really hard for me to keep up. And I really enjoy a challenge when something doesn't feel challenging. I kind of lose interest in it. So just the fact that there's kind of something new to learn every day, that new events are happening, that there's just great stories all the time. You know, I, I was joking uh, about like, you know, my book. I just felt like I didn't have to do very much, right? I just had to find out what happened because... What happened <laughs> was just by itself so interesting. And mm -hmm. I think even the Coindesk review said something about how, you know, the material was so great that like the reviewer said that he might have been tempted to like embellish and kind of have fun with it. But mm -hmm. that, you know, I was kind of restrained just like telling what happened. And that's really all I needed to do is just like yeah. tell the story because that and it's, I mean, granted, it took a lot of work to figure out all the facts and then to figure out how to uh, shape it into that kind of tight narrative that like, makes you want to keep reading. So I'm not going to say like, I didn't do any work, but I just mean, you know, I didn't have to like embellish with my words. So all those things are the things that get me motivated in the morning. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, I was just telling my teammates and my friends, uh, I'm listening to your book on audiobook. So it's like you are a, like a big sister or a best friend <laughs> or an ate, as they say in the Philippines, telling me the most accurate but juicy gossip on Ethereum and everybody who created it and, and so much more. It just feels like we're part of this unraveling history and this investigation. While you were reading it, you can actually feel the emotions of going on and the conversations that they're having in these intimate 
Like you literally don't hold back. And like you say right now, you didn't have to do anything. It was already juicy. You just had to capture it and showcase it for everyone to see. But simultaneously, you were also teaching us like uh, jargon like HODL and you're teaching us uh, what is blockchain and smart contracts. So it felt like even though I'm not a super techie, I'm a UX researcher, I was still able to follow along. One comment about that, one of the things I felt very proud of was that afterward, a number of developers reached out to me to say things like, oh, your technical explanations were flawless. One of them was just like, I'm learning things from reading your book. (laughs) (laughs) So I worked very, very hard to understand all that and then be able to explain it in a way where any new person who has zero background in crypto can understand. But for me, I had been covering crypto for a long time. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing the research, I was encountering things on a technical level that I had not encountered before. So for me, it was also a big learning experience. And so to be able to, you know, get to that level of technical detail, like, you know, stuff that's kind of more complicated and explain that to people like that, I felt was an achievement. And I was glad to see that other developers felt that way, too. That must have been like the ultimate compliment to have someone who's an expert tell you, I'm learning still (laughs) from how easily you explained it. And right, as a new person, it's easy to digest the stories and really listen and understand the Web3 space in a different way. Something that I wanted to pick your brain about that I'm still struggling with myself is, for example, I'll be out at a nail salon getting my lashes done or looking for a house and the realtor or the tech they're like, what do you do? They're always curious. Like, what do you do for a living? I always tell them I'm a UX researcher uh, at a blockchain infrastructure company, and I'm researching blockchain technology and trying to humanize it, make it easier for people to build projects in that space. And they're like, oh, like crypto and things of that nature. Well, my husband does that. My boyfriend does that. I've heard about it, but I don't really know about it. I'm very skeptical. How do you frame the conversation and explain these concepts to these women in a way that maybe it inspires them to want to make it more about women versus leaving it up to the men and and dismissing crypto? Well, uh, hmm, that's a tough question. Um, (laughs) It's hard for me to say because, yeah, I, I had this interesting experience recently where I was on vacation with my family and my sister is an entrepreneur and her company is a fashion company. We hung out with this other family and they also had kind of their extended family and it was, you know, kind of like the grandparents and then the parents Mm -hmm. and then the grandchildren. So it's like multiple generations. And I noticed that of the people closer to our age, you know, it was like there were sisters and brothers. And the sisters seemed interested in my sister's company and the brothers seemed interested in what I did. So already, like even in that just brief experience, I did notice that the sisters didn't ask me anything about crypto, but the brothers, they'd heard of my podcast, they'd heard of my book, they, you know, they were asking me all kinds of questions. Like it was like, we had a very engaging discussion and it was just an observation I made to my mom later, you know, like, you know, see how gender segregated this industry is. I guess when I meet other women, it's funny because I like can't think of it because my friends all know that I've been into this for a very long time. So my actual friends aren't that interested, but even my guy friends aren't interested. Oh, no one is kind of interested. But anyway, mm-hmm. point is, I think what I actually tend to emphasize is that it's not even so much about like money or investment because I feel like 
so many people think of crypto as just being about investing. Mm -hmm. But I talk about how it's like a different way to organize people. I talk about decentralization. Mm -hmm. I talk about the, you know, the concept of DAOs, because I've noticed that like a lot more women kind of, I believe are getting involved in DAOs. I, I don't have any hard facts to back that up. That's sort of anecdotal. Probably the the one anecdote maybe that's a little bit more like solid would just be that when Syndicate DAO launched its they're like basically like mini DAOs, a Web3 investment clubs was the name. It was groups of 99 people or fewer who would share a multi-sig and they would uh, invest in tokens or NFTs or trade in DeFi or whatever together. And when they went to launch with their initial cohort, they realized, oh, hey, actually half of the groups are either all women or women-led, and then the other half are you know, male. And that's obviously very unusual in crypto <laughs> to have, have women, have men in anything. Yeah. Um, and you know, they hadn't tried to do that, but basically they had just sought out different groups that were sort of mission aligned with what they were doing with this product. Mm-hmm. And that was how they ended up with half women, half men. So then they realized like, oh, there's something about this idea of like community investing together or like kind of bringing up everyone together where, you know, you might have NFT expertise and I might have DeFi expertise and someone else might be really good with just like trading in general or something. And we can all share in that expertise. And so maybe I don't know much about NFTs, but if you make gains on your NFT investments, then I can also benefit. And Mm -hmm. so I ended up interviewing some of the women that were um, getting involved in this. And I remember one in particular was actually a VC and she was saying, oh, hey, like a lot of the female VCs feel that the male VCs have been earlier into crypto. And so we're trying to kind of bring more women in and Mm -hmm. bring them up and, you know, get them educated more quickly. I mean, granted, that veered into investment again. But the point is that in general, like I think the concept of this DAO and like not having any one person or entity be the end all be all in charge person, I, I think there is something about that that does appeal to women. So Mm -hmm. I generally just try to frame things in terms of like how blockchain technology enables us to upend traditional business or traditional organizational structures. Right. That's beautiful. Bringing in the the concept of the DAO. I studied psychology and human development. And as women, we're nurturers, we're empathizers. And the nature of decentralization and the DAOs itself already put women in the space that we are home with, community. And I think that it's something that creates a space where women can have more of an entry point into Web3. Whereas, you know, crypto and traditional finance, historically, women have been marginalized and underrepresented in those spaces. And so this new concept of the DAO is something new that we can be involved in. So I want to transition back a little bit to cryptocurrency what is cryptocurrency to you as a crypto journalist and why should women care about it? So I feel like that term cryptocurrency really become a catch-all term, mm. but when you really look at the space, it really should be more of a specific term, meaning mm. that it should only apply to the crypto assets that really do function like currencies. Originally, Bitcoin, I think, was supposed to be like that because uh you know, the name of the white paper is a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. The idea of electronic cash that sort of implies currency. I would say that the current narrative around Bitcoin, although (laughs) this might be changing, uh, but it's been at least for a while digital gold, which obviously nobody uses gold as currency. But the reason I was saying it might be changing is because this whole thing about it being an inflation hedge, I think that's being called into question right now. But the point is that 
you know, other ones like maybe Dogecoin. It's funny because like <laughs> Litecoin, a lot of them are, are sort of similar to Bitcoin, frankly. Mm -hmm. So, and many of them are actually forks of Bitcoin. But to my mind, I think because that term cryptocurrency seems very specific and it inspires comparisons like to the dollar, I think that's mm -hmm. why I get a lot of questions from people where they're like, oh, do you expect that Bitcoin is going to replace the dollar? And I'm like, actually, no. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is kind of a conception from, yeah, like 2011, 2012, 2013. I do think what's very interesting about cryptocurrency is the idea that it's a non-governmental money. The idea of a governmental money seems to us to be the way to handle money, right? Because we don't mm -hmm. know anything different. Mm -hmm. But throughout history, we've seen all different kinds of currencies that maybe didn't come out of government. They were just sort of community currencies. And even before Bitcoin, there were attempts at private currencies. I do think that maybe that is one interesting introduction that we've seen through cryptocurrency is that we have this concept now of a non-governmental currency. We now have private companies that are issuing their own stable coins, which are mm -hmm. supposed to be pegged, for instance, to the US dollar or some other fiat currency. It's like, a new type of money. In this case, the value of it is being kept at the same as uh, that of a dollar. But you know that concept of, hey, you can get this form of value from a company rather than from the government. Yeah. In general, I, I have mixed feelings about the, the word cryptocurrency because I think a lot of everyday people who don't know much about crypto think that that's all there is to crypto. Right. They've heard of Bitcoin. They've heard of Dogecoin, this very hyped coin. And Elon Musk was all over that. Maybe still is. I haven't been keeping up with that. I want to turn back to Ethereum. That's what your book explored, like a third of it, right? A third of it focused on Ethereum more than that, maybe. Two thirds, yeah. Two maybe thirds. Three, maybe even three quarters. Yeah. Oh, which makes sense. There's a lot of there people building on Ethereum right now. I want to understand a little bit more about your take on Ethereum as a cryptocurrency, as far as, you know, how can women get involved? What is Ethereum to you compared to Bitcoin and all the others? So Ethereum is what people have been calling like a world computer or a decentralized computer. Mm -hmm. And the way that you can think of it is it's actually good to, to just go back to what Vitalik was thinking, Vitalik Buterin, the creator of Ethereum, mm -hmm. at the time that he conceived of the idea for it. At that time, it was, I think, like 2012, 2013, and a lot of people were trying to innovate on Bitcoin, but the way they were doing that was by simply adding new features on. Mm -hmm. And so they'd create a new blockchain, which would have additional features to what you know Bitcoin had. And Vitalik was kind of watching this and he thought, well, wait, so every time a new blockchain comes out with additional features, then like it kind of makes the previous one less interesting, right? Mm -hmm. And he thought, well, why couldn't it be more like the Apple App Store where you have a place where any developer can upload any decentralized application? And in this case, what he understood that what made Bitcoin unique was the fact that it was decentralized. And mm -hmm. so he thought there should be other decentralized applications, but it should be such that any developer can dream up any type of decentralized application and then, and then just upload it somewhere for people to use. Right. And so he came up with the idea of having a blockchain that was not uh, designed with specific features, but was designed around a programming language that mm -hmm. developers could then use to conceive of any decentralized application that they wanted and upload that to that blockchain. 
So that's essentially what Ethereum is today. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, Ether itself is seen as less of a cryptocurrency and more like a crypto commodity such as gas. Meaning when you use the Ethereum network, the reason you have to pay ETH is you're paying for computation on that decentralized computer. So if you're doing a simple payment or transfer, let's say I'm just sending you some ETH, that costs probably some minimal amount of, of gas. But if we're doing some complex thing, like especially if you're, for instance, like minting an NFT or you're doing a series of DeFi transactions or something like that, then that takes a lot more gas right? So it's like a simple payment. Maybe if you and I are both in New York city and you're just like two stops on the subway and then uh, creating an NFT is more like driving from here to Philly, right? Like a two hour drive. And then, you know, DeFi, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure actually what the gas costs are. So I'm just kind of making it up, but it's like different kinds of computation will cost different amounts of gas. Mm -hmm. So that's really how Ether functions. Whether or not that narrative also holds is an open question because actually Ethereum is undergoing a change. Who knows if uh, it will always be seen this way, but that's kind of the current understanding of it. Yes. Oh my, you gave us so much really cool information. I felt like I was live listening to you tell a story right now. <laughs> Join me at Coindesk Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer among creators, builders, founders, brands, entrepreneurs, investors, and more. Use code WEB3WOMEN to get 15% off your pass. Visit events.coindesk.com slash consensus2023. Again, you're listening to Women Who Web 3 by Coindesk. I'm Cams. We're talking with Laura Shin, crypto journalist, TEDx speaker, podcast host, and author. I wanted to pick your brain about when I saw you on Twitter, I was expecting to see your face. And I saw that your PFP, your profile picture is Crypto Coven. How did that come to be? And have you purchased more NFTs? Yeah, so... I have a funny story with Crypto Coven. I saw Amber <laughs> Balde, who's another crypto entrepreneur at this event. And mm-hmm. at that time, Crypto Coven was not as well known as it is today. I think it was uh, it had, like it, maybe people had just started minting them. So it hadn't been minted out. Mm-hmm. And I looked it up and I was like, oh, I want one of these. But, you know, being really busy, <laughs> I just didn't hop on it right away. Uh-huh. And then, of course, like within a week or two, they'd all been minted. And I was like, oh, I missed my window. And I was kind of really upset because I'm I'm really into like a lot of the stuff that the Crypto Coven things are about. You know, they have like kind of spiritual elements or like mm-hmm. I liked some of them had kind of like face jewelry or like, I don't mm-hmm. know, I just like liked the design. The aesthetic I thought was amazing. Mm-hmm. So these NFTs are expensive. So I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm forget it. Like I'm too late. Uh, you know, I, I missed my chance to get in on it cheap. And then I've been writing this newsletter for Facebook and they reached out to me saying that they were doing this like pilot on NFTs and do I want to be part of it? So I said, oh, okay, sure. But then I was like, oh shoot, I don't have that many NFTs. So I needed to buy some. And somebody had actually gifted me an NFT previously. Looking back, I realized, oh, he was probably trying to like minimize his tax liabilities but he just like sent this to me like as a gift or whatever. 
but then somebody else wanted it. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. Like I gave away or I sold the NFT that he wanted to him and then obtained enough money that I used to buy crypto coven. Yes. So that's how I ended up with a crypto coven, despite having missed the minting window. So you told us about how it came to be, which is so interesting. And that's kind of how I've obtained some of my NFTs. <laughs> but have you purchased more? Is it a space that you're interested in? Are you sort of pivoting towards focusing on cryptocurrency and DAOs? There's so many things you're focused on. <laughs> yeah. Well, so because my podcast has been around for six years and it started in 2016 when the crypto space really was mostly Bitcoin and like Ethereum was just kind of becoming a thing. Ever since then, my podcast has always been covering the whole space. And if I were to just select one area now, I, it would basically be a pivot. And I don't think my listeners would really enjoy that. I'd probably lose some listeners. I might gain some new ones, but I'd want to keep doing what I've been doing for all this time, which is covering the whole space. So I cover, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, DeFi, regulation, DAOs, NFTs, like it's it like runs the gamut, you know, it's just whatever the biggest news stories are at that time, essentially. Yeah, I ended up having to buy a number for that Facebook pilot. And I think something that was interesting to me was realizing how much of this is a game for people who are early in ETH or who are kind of like insiders because, you know, NFTs are like really expensive, like mind-bogglingly expensive. So I was kind of looking at all this sort of traditional, more like PFP style ones. And like, especially because I had to buy multiple for this pilot, I was like, I cannot... I cannot spend thousands of dollars, just not in my budget, not something I was planning to do, you know, sign up for this pilot because they were offering it and whatever. Mm -hmm. So I realized, wow, like I need to find cheaper NFTs. And this is why like that was the only PFP I got was the Crypto Coven one. But I ended up buying some photo ones because they were cheaper. You know, I just realized, wow, this is definitely people who got in early when the price was like, what, $7 or you know, even $100. And now they're spending those early coins they got. But like, if you are literally buying ETH right now to buy these NFTs, it's absolutely insane what you're going to pay. So, you know, I mean, I knew that, but like to really feel it on a human level, wow, I really don't want to spend this amount on NFTs. And like, this is just an insane amount. Granted, also, maybe because I'm not a speculator, that was another reason why I couldn't stomach it because I wasn't planning to flip them. I was just planning to participate in this pilot. But maybe mm -hmm. other people, they think of it as an investment and they'll recoup it within, you know, six months or whatever. I don't know. But yeah, I definitely was struck by just how expensive they, most of them were. Yes. And it's interesting. A lot of things you speak to, it just reminded me of Tiffany's had their 30 Ether NFT sell. And I was like, oh my goodness, it never in a million years, even if I had a hundred million thousand dollars. <laughs> but people mm -hmm. were tweeting that they felt that mm -hmm. Tiffany priced it too low, that 30 ETH was too low. No way. So because think about it, if you got ETH in the crowd sale, or even if you didn't, even if you just bought it, even in 2016 or something, or even if you bought it in 2018 or 2019, mm -hmm. then it's still cheap for you. So mm -hmm. That's yeah. true. That's yeah. true. I wanted to touch on and circle back to there's this like fear of missing out the FOMO. There's also the when did this mint, um, like missing the mint. What is your go to sources for staying informed and up to date on what's what and who's who in the Web3 space in general? <laughs> the number one resource is Twitter. Oh, no, no question. No <laughs> you question. heard it here. 
You heard it here, folks. Yeah, I mean, it just, it feels like that's where so much of the action happens. Yeah, I feel like the way that I keep up on the pulse is Twitter. Obviously, I subscribe to a number of different podcasts and newsletters and everything. But if you want kind of like real time in the moment, like this is what's going on, Twitter Mm -hmm. is definitely far and away the best resource. There's just no question about it. Um, There's a reason why it's called Crypto Twitter. And people (laughs) will shorthand it as CT. Like we all know what everyone's talking about because we are all on there all the time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's what I would recommend. Uh, However, I will plug my daily newsletter and my podcast, which comes out Tuesday and Friday. (laughs) Ooh, I went down the rabbit hole this past week on all things Lorishin. And (laughs) you have a lot of great content as plus that you're talking to people like what was last a couple of days ago was the chief product officer at Coinbase. And I was just telling my producer, like, Laura goes in unapologetically. She goes in to get the story. And I was just super inspired. So guys, check out the podcast. And Laura will share where to find all of your content again at the end of the podcast so everybody can tune in and find where you are and get stay up to date on the news. As yeah, you guys- one, one comment about that chief product Mm -hmm. officer at Coinbase interview before we started recording, the PR person revealed that he, this person, Saroja Chatterjee, who I had on the show, that Mm -hmm. he was a huge fan of my show. And he was like a little (gasps) bit starstruck when he was asked to be on the show. Mm -hmm. And I I had this like sinking feeling because I was like, oh boy, he's not going to like me after this interview because I had (laughs) all of these tough questions for him. (laughs) But to his credit, afterward, he said that he fully expected it, that he knows it's part of my job, Mm -hmm. that he was prepared. And I just really respect sources like that because I've had people who they definitely get offended. They're mad after the interview. But the ones who know I'm just doing my job, it's not personal, whatever, like I really respect those. So credit to Surajit. Yeah, I I was going to say he he tackled them with grace. There was a couple where I was like, oh, I would have been tripped up maybe. But (laughs) I wonder where does that tenacity come from? You said you had a sinking feeling. How do you manage those emotions that circle around getting to the heart of the story, doing your job as a woman, especially? Is there something you tell yourself like, do you have a mantra? Do you do you meditate? No, no. So, you know, it's really funny because I actually didn't realize that I was making people uncomfortable until People would tell me something like, oh, I really like your tough questions. I really like your uncomfortable questions. And it was only after I'd literally been doing the podcast for years that, you know, I was hearing this and I was like, oh, am I making my sources uncomfortable? Like it didn't even occur to me. I think what it is, is that I'm so focused on the information and accuracy and getting the truth that I'm just coming up with questions to try to get at that. And I'm just not thinking about their feelings because it's not relevant. And, um, (laughs) you know, like, as we mentioned, like, to my mind, this is my job. Mm -hmm. And so if people um, understand that, then they're going to understand. I'm not like trying to go after them. That's not what I'm trying to do. It's like these things happen. I mean, in particular, in this case, you know, Coinbase is probably, if not the most important company, crypto company in the US, at least one of like literally in the top three. And, you know, it's the only publicly listed crypto exchange in the US. And so they should expect tough questions. I was certain he was very well prepared by his PR people. Another way to put it is I would be letting my listeners down if I didn't ask those tough questions. That's why they come to me. That's why they listen to my show. Like I've had people tweet at me stuff about, 
about that, how they respect me because they feel that I'm really after the truth. And it is true. Fact checking my book was literally like a five month undertaking. It was, I ended up paying my fact checker more than half of my advance. And the reason I was willing to spend that money is because it was important to me that what we put in the book was accurate. And so, you know, the language in there can be quite lawyerly at times. It's like, you know, according to one source or, you know, like whenever we only had something from one person, we would mention that. Mm -hmm. So this is how I approach my life in general. Like I, I definitely even feel that sometimes like friends and family can feel a little bit hurt because I'm too focused on like truth and accuracy and like not thinking about people's feelings. So there's a downside when like I'm not doing my job, but, you know, I think frankly, it's part of my personality. Wow. I love that you you say it's part of your personality, but also I feel like there's this aspect of it that a lot of women can take from. Whereas you focus on not only it's your job, but you have this holistic view where you're like, well, I'm sure, you know, this happened on their end. They're ready. They should be prepared. If they're not, I mean, it's not my problem. Like this is exactly. my job. This is <laughs> and I think that's a mindset, you know, not the it's not my problem mindset, but I think that's a mindset that we should adopt, the holistic, like not focusing on just yourself, but thinking of the other person and then also being very unapologetic about it. This is my mission. But then also you have this aspect of empathy. I'm going to let my listeners down. Um, And I think you can take that into uh, different spaces like your workplace, for example. I won't be doing my due diligence. I won't be giving it my best if I'm truly not showing up in the way that I have to to get what I need to get. Again, that word unapologetic. I want to ask two more questions. Laura, you have so much experience in crypto. What would a world where crypto is globally adopted look like, in your opinion? Well, so I don't know the age demographic of the listeners, obviously, but I uh, remember when I was younger, like the phone was attached to the kitchen wall or like on the desk or, you know, whatever. And it had a cord on it and you couldn't just walk anywhere. You had to like, like be glued to that spot while you were on the phone. Obviously in my lifetime, technology has changed so much. And now I not only carry my phone around with me everywhere, but then on top of that, when I wake up, I'm checking my iMessages. I'm checking my WhatsApp. I'm checking my email. I'm checking my Telegram. I'm checking Instagram. I'm checking Twitter. Like There's so many ways for people to contact me and there's so many different types of communication I'm having with different people, right? And Mm -hmm. it's going to be like that, except that it's going to be transactions and they're going to be people all over the globe. Just the way, like right now, my team is global. They're Mm -hmm. all over the world. And um, it's going to be like that with with financial things, whether it's, you know, NFTs. I mean, it's it's basically already happening in the crypto community. Like even, even if you just think about how the internet um, revolution happened really out of Silicon Valley. Um, Like, as you know from my book, most of Ethereum was actually built in Europe and the team was global. Like there were people in Brazil and in Singapore and, you know, in in Canada. And I mean, it was just like, it was all over, right? Mm -hmm. So I feel like crypto is going to, yeah, um, in the future, we're going to wake up, we're going to check multiple different transactions that have happened across all different kinds of assets will be like voting on different things like you know as part of what quote unquote dao governance you know will be like part of these different sort of like internet tribes or digital communities i mean think about it already like so much of our lives is digital like we like i have multiple digital communities that i'm a part of and i feel that they'll be able to kind of govern themselves using 
blockchain based assets like, you know, NFTs or governance tokens or whatever it might be. Yeah, there's just going to be a lot more of that kind of activity. And so in the future, I think when this gets adopted, we'll, you know, have a lot more financial transactions in our lives. And on top of that, as I said, my TEDx talk, I think that will enable a lot more people to work for themselves. I don't think we're going to see as many people having to do full-time work, working for employers. I think we're going to see a lot more people feeling like they can participate in multiple different income streams by transacting with all these different communities. I had this young woman, Chase Chapman, on my show. She is a graduate from the year 2021, college graduate. And her title is Web3 Freelancer. And she basically works for different DAOs. And that's how she makes her money. Yeah. So like, I gave my TEDx talk in 2018. Mm-hmm. And then here in 2022, I was interviewing someone who had that lifestyle that I talked about in my TEDx talk four years previously. So it's already happening. Here I am being a podcast host a Rev3 show. I've never imagined this a year ago. And that's why I really connected with your TEDx talk. I loved something you said. You said, I'm not used to people telling me what to do. I have never heard oh. a woman say that blatantly at a TED talk. And we have a joke in my family that that's why mm-hmm. my sister and I both are like entrepreneurs. Oh. Because since we grew up with no rules in our household, like we are totally not used to having other people tell us what to do. Yes. So we're we're bosses now. <laughs> That's just so incredible. And speaking of bosses, everyone who's listening, you guys are all bosses listening to this. You already <laughs> showed up here. We're just so excited to have you on the show, Laura. I want to make sure that everybody listening knows where to find you. I would love to ask you, where can people see your content? Where do you want to direct people? And where can they find your book? So you should look me up on Twitter, Laura Shin. I also have a website, my author website, laurashin.com. And you can find my podcast at unchainedpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. And as for the book, you can find the book really at any bookseller. And it's available um, both as a hardback, as well as on audio, as you mentioned, as well as an ebook. And there's a very simple URL, uh, which is bit.ly slash cryptopians, B-I-T dot L-Y slash C-R-Y-P-T-O-P-I-A-N-S. Nice. Thank you, Laura. And just to close out, so to the audience, we you guys know we do a meditation. Laura's got to go. But I wanted to end with, Laura, what is your secret to de-stressing or staying productive but relaxed? How do you let go or do you just keep going? No. So listeners of my show will know that I'm super into spiritual stuff. So that's why I love that you end with a meditation. I'm big into meditation. I like chanting. I love doing yoga. I do yoga like pretty much every morning. Not lit- I couldn't do it this morning or yesterday, but so most days of the week. And I also do a lot of self-care. Like I love infrared sauna. I love Epsom salt baths. I love acupuncture, massages, cranial sacral therapy. I mean, just wow. anything that makes my body feel good. Yeah. I have a lot of a lot of tips on that score if people are interested. Well, I'm so happy that you prioritize wellness in everything that you do. Wow. Uh, I wish I could give you a big hug. You've shared so many amazing tips to help women out there who are listening. Thank you so much for everything you do and so much respect to you for going after the truth unapologetically. So excited. And everybody, check out the book. I'm biased. I love it on audiobook. I absolutely love hearing Laura tell the story. There's emotion. There's high drama. Uh, You learn more about Web3. It's beginner friendly. 
I would even say start there. Start with her book and then jump into crypto Twitter if you haven't been in that space yet. Laura, thank you so, so much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Good to hear. Thank you. That was Laura Shin, unapologetic leader. You heard her say that she, to de-stress, is very spiritual. She loves meditation. She does all sorts of different holistic healing methods for self-care. I want to end this show with a meditation that's dedicated to Laura, pulling in that energy. Find your way to an upright and dignified sitting posture. Gently cross your legs or let your legs lay comfortably in front of you. If it's safe to do so, close your eyes or softly gaze in front of you. Rest your hands in your lap and lift the crown of your beautiful head toward the sky, allowing the chin to be proud and parallel with the floor. Take in a deep breath through your nose and sigh the breath out of your mouth. Two more like that, cleansing the body. Invite softness and loving energy into this powerful posture, into this moment, this space that you're creating for yourself. Soften the forehead, relax the jaw, shoulders relax down, the back softens. The upper body relaxes heavier into your seat on the ground or wherever you're sitting. Legs are heavier. The arch, heel of the feet, the toes soften and relax. Notice your breathing. Allow the breath to be just as it is. Let the thoughts run through as they do. And just focus on the breath in and follow the breath out. Place a hand on your heart as you're breathing and feel gratitude deep down for all you have accomplished. You are here in this moment. You have everything that you need to succeed. You have survived everything thrown at you, every challenge you have overcome or you're overcoming. But this space is for you. Let the breath relax the body as you fall into a meditative state, alert but relaxed. Think of everything that makes you, you, and call out moments where you felt in your power, where you felt comfortable in the face of challenge. What strengths did you exhibit? What were you proud of? All of those things make you, you. There's never a need to apologize for what you want to advocate for, whether it's in the workplace, education, with friends. Be you. 
and be proud of who you are. Doors will open for you when you come in with who you are and you take the place that you rightfully deserve. Now focus on those around you, your friends, your family. Who do they think you are? What do they love about you? Focus only on those traits. In the moments of doubt, where you feel like you can't do something or a challenge seems too much, take a moment to come to this space of your power where you can accomplish everything. You have everything you need. Your family, your friends, the ones who believe in you. I challenge you to always believe in yourself, to trust yourself, and to always advocate for yourself and who you truly are. We always aim to be our highest self and that's something we can choose every single day and I encourage you to choose that. Grab control of your breath again. Inhale through the nose and exhale through the mouth. Check your posture. Is your chin held high? Is your beautiful face up? in an upright position. Each breath again relaxes deeper into this environment where we are powerful. Start to come back to the space and notice the sounds and sensations around you. Just gently, if you're closing your eyes, slightly flutter them open. Wake up the toes and the hands and the shoulders by gently just fluttering them, moving your foot back and forth, rolling the shoulders back and forth. Let's take a collective breath together, claiming our power and who we are inside on good days and bad days. Let's challenge ourselves to be our highest self, to choose ourselves and to let ourselves Go after whatever our heart desires unapologetically. Thank you so much for inviting me into your practice and practicing with me. I want to thank you all for listening to Women Who Web 3. You can find us on the Coindesk Podcast Network or anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Cams. Thank you for taking the step and changing the world together. Till next week, remember... Always look to the sky above, earth below, and the fire within. You've been listening to Women Who Web 3 with host Kamala Ancantera. This show has been produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau. Executive producer is Jared Swartz. Our theme song is 20-something by Danielle Musto. Other tunes used are Morning Star and Fashion Week. Cams would love to hear from you. You can reach out to her at Cams, K-A-M-Z, at womenwhoweb3.com or podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, Women Who Web 3. Thanks for listening. <laughs>